J.J. Cooper, Jeff Ponce here at Baseball America Prospect Podcast. We are doing this from, uh, I'm in a rainy North Carolina. Jeff, I don't even know what the weather is up there in Massachusetts. But more importantly, Jeff is just back from a relatively sunny Florida. He did a uh, spring training trip focused on the East Coast, the five teams that are on the East Coast. That's the thing about Florida spring training. You got the East Coast. You got the Tigers in the middle, and then you've got everyone else on the West Coast. So it's a little more divided than Arizona, where it's all in Phoenix, and you can get from one end to the other in about an hour. Not that way in Florida. So Jeff was on the we had Jeff on the East Coast, Savannah for us, Savannah McCann went to the West Coast, and uh, you'll be listening a little later on the same podcast. I'm going to talk to Josh Norris, who was in Arizona. But so Jeff, yeah, I, I to kind of just dive in. On this, we're going to talk today about prospects, about farm systems, about what he saw in uh, in spring training. But also, this is Jeff's first year with us, and this was—I I say this because talking to Jeff throughout his travels, it was kind of cool for me. I, I, I'm, I try not to be jaded. Jaded is not my personality, but the backfields are a, a spring training tradition for me. Um, this was Jeff's first experience on the backfields of spring training. And to kind of dive in, Jeff, what was it like to have your first backfield spring training experience? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think the unique thing, because I've obviously, you know, I've gone to, to games for years, but mostly regular season minor league contests where it's between two teams or like a college game, uh, you know, Boston College, I have, you know, some ACC baseball around me. And then, of course, the Cape Cod League, which, you know, is I think in some ways probably similar to um, the backfield experience in terms of like each individual game kind of has, you know, a collection of different sort of prospects or whatever, you know, together. And uh, it's more of like a showcase sort of uh, experience than, you know, like a regular season minor league game or something like that or a college game. So, the thing I wasn't necessarily prepared for, I'll say like my initial shock was I got off the plane last Tuesday, you know, I immediately went over to uh, Palm beach. I knew that the a ball teams were playing. Um, so the low a and the high a clubs um, for the nationals and the Cardinals and uh, you know, 15 minutes from the airport on my way to my hotel, why not stop by get baseball as soon as I possibly can. I'm in the warm weather. Um, and then it was just the experience of having two games that I wanted to really watch at the same time going on simultaneously. And like the, the sensory experience of like trying to figure out like, okay, how do I manage this? How do I get the shots I want to see? How do I know who's coming up? Um, and so like that, I kind of, you kind of settle in with two games. I feel like you, you pay attention to the arms. Two's very coming. doable. Yeah. And, and the, the way the Cardinals complex is set up, it's very open and there's enough space for everyone to kind of move back and forth. And I, you know, I met a couple of different scouts. They were doing something similar and just, you know, I had the radar gun. I'm going back and forth. If there was a hitter that I wanted to take a look at, I would go up there, you know, Brady house comes up. I'm going to get some open face video of him. Um, but then, you know, other guys, I'm just kind of laying back, taking notes on pictures and just kind of taking it in. Now I'll say this. I was not prepared for day two. I go back to the Cardinals complex and it's the Cardinals and the Marlins who, you know, have two complexes that, you know, butt behind, uh, you know, Roger Dean stadium there in Jupiter. So 
I'm at the Cardinals complex and there are all four levels going on for the Marlins and the Cardinals at the same time. And I can remember there was a moment where Khalil Watson was coming up to bat. Matthew Lee in, in the low A game. Matthew Liebator is pitching in the triple A game. And Mason Wynn and Jordan Walker are coming up back to back in the double A game. And I think uh, in the the high A game, maybe like Cordy Morissette was coming up, but there was an arm in that I thought was interesting. And it was just like this, I, I, like, I didn't know what to do. Luckily I had a couple of cameras that were set up that were just running during a few of those games. And so I was able to kind of bear down in like the A game. And I tried to like stay there and watch that one. But um, as exciting arms came in throughout the day, that was, that was the toughest one. That was just, you know, an unbelievable experience. That's to me like two is two's. This is what I love about the backfield. Four is sensory overload. And I don't sound like you're in the same boat I am always, which is just like, I know I'm seeing something good, but I always have that, that FOMO. I, you know, I'm always worried that I'm on this field bearing down on this and something even cooler may be happening over there on that field. And I love how you did it. Cause my Arizona tradition is <laughs> at baseball America. We try to get the most we can out of our travel dollar, which often means that you're you're leaving at a, an early time, like you know, oh, I've got a 545 departure in from Raleigh Durham or whatever, but that gets you into Arizona nice and early too. And my tradition almost without fail was get done, endure the trek to get the rental car, which is a uh, running joke about the Phoenix airport. Um, yeah. and then once that's done head straight down the interstate, hit the in and out. There's an in and out on the way to Goodyear, hit the in and out, which is, you know, like a tradition of mine that I get the in and out. I eat that in the car on my way to Goodyear. And then I see a game at Goodyear. Cause there's always going to be, you know, you're always going to see guardians or reds. One of the two is going to be playing yeah. or both often both they're playing each other. And it's just one of those things where it's like, great. You can like, I just hit the ground and I'm already seeing baseball. And it's, but, but when you have that, the, the thing that is the, the wonderful hidden gem about backfield baseball is kind of what you talked about there to me is, is that there aren't, there is no downtime. There is no, okay, well now we're, you know, in between innings and we'll wait for a break. There's exactly. always something going on. Yeah. I think, you know, that's the thing. And I'm going to say, I, I think my, my East coast tradition would probably be pub subs and Wawa, depending upon what time of night it was. Cause sometimes I get back and I would like cut video and then I'd be like, Oh man, it's 10 30. I probably should eat dinner and then go to bed. Cause I got to wake up and you know, go to camp in the morning. And Wawa was clutch. Cause it was open at like whatever, some ungodly hour. You could drive over there at 11 o'clock at night and like put it in order and get like a freshly made like Italian sub. So I ate a lot of those and, uh, and then Publix in general is just, uh, a good supermarket. So I, I constantly just went there and bought food. That that's, that's his uh, notification. That's not a ding that we are. That's like a plug. You know, this is, we're not sponsored by Wawa or Publix, but speaking of that, we are sponsored and we will take a quick break for a quick message. And we're back. We're back here on the baseball America prospect podcast, talking to Jeff Ponce and later we'll be talking to Josh Norris about their travels to spring training. So, Jeff, we've kind of set the stage, but now we're going to talk about the prospects, the teams, and all that. 
we're going to have a lot. We already have a lot up at baseballamerica.com about this. We're going to have more about this coming up. So we're not going to dive into every prospect who impressed, but who is a prospect who stood out to you? Let's give a little, we'll give a little sneak peek. Who's a prospect that really stood out to you during your, your travels around the backfields? Yeah, I would say the first one was uh, Khalil Watson, um, who everybody knows, but uh, being able to, to get a, you know, firsthand look at Watson, um, just the bat to ball skills. He takes, you know, really good at bats. I think he swings at, at good pitches. Um, and he did two things that impressed me that first day where I think his first at bat, he just completely, somebody tried to sneak a fastball by him on the in, inner half of the plate. He just completely ambushed it, drove it to you know, the batter's eye in, in center field for a triple. Um, and as he was rounded second base, like the, the, he could see that there was like some hesitation from the center fielder throwing it in. And like he just hit a second gear and got right into third. And it was just like that baseball awareness stuck out to me. Uh, and then in his second at bat, he was facing um, Edwin Nunez uh, from the Cardinals, who has, if you know anything about Nunez, we have a report. And he's inside, I think, the, the Cardinals top 20, top 25 uh, on the Cardinals 30. Um, sits 96. Throws really hard. 90, <laughs> yeah. Six, 96 to 98 miles per hour. And he has a good breaking ball. But he sat back in the breaking ball and just, you know, shot it right back up the middle um, for a single. But it was just the the difference in approaches from uh, from a bat to a bat, and sort of just like his general awareness, even in the field. You know, he does smart stuff. So uh, he was a guy that really impressed me, and um, you know, surprised of course that <laughs> he went after some other guys in that draft. But um, he was really good. And then another Marlins guy was Yuri Perez, who I hadn't seen uh, live. I'd watched him on video, you know, plenty. Um, but be able to experience that live, you know, all the different stuff. And he was facing major leaguers on the Mets backfield. That was really impressive when he struck out uh, Jeff McNeil, who doesn't strike out much, even against major league guys, um, look lost in some of those swings that I had uh, actually posted on Twitter. And, and if you want to read more about that, Jeff wrote about that outing of Yuri Perez also posted video of that outing of Yuri Perez. So you can get your own uh, eyes on it at baseballamerica.com. The other thing that, that, that to me stands out about backfields, it's not perfect. It's not like you don't want to make any sweeping uh, views on prospects or organizations based on spring training, because the tough part about this is, is that this is, there are, there's purpose to spring training. It is to get ready for the season. And so I, I've shared this story with Jeff. I'll share it with you all like that. Probably one of the worst performances I have ever seen on the backfields, maybe the worst, was Shoei Otani on the mound. This is like a week and a half before he makes his MLB debut. And he was utterly horrendous. It was facing a lineup of rookie ballers. I mean, guys who had not played full season ball. They had to roll two of the first three innings. And if you don't know what rolling is, like in spring training, you don't have to wait till three outs. When the pitcher's thrown as many pitches as they want him to see in that inning, you just finish it and you go on to the next inning. It's, it's, it's an exhibition, the spring training, on the backfield especially. And by the way, if you also see a big leaguer show up, you may see Joey Votto bat 15 times in a yeah. seven-inning game. It's spring <laughs> training. It's the backfield. But Otani wasn't throwing that hard. 
had zero command, was not fooling uh, rookie ball hitters. And if you just based it off of that, you would be like, wow, Shoei Otani is utterly overmatched. This guy is going to get destroyed in the big leagues. I think 10 days later, he went out and utterly shoved against the Oakland A's, which are a big league club who are filled with players who have played above rookie ball. And it's mm-hmm. just a reminder. Thankfully, thankfully, I just tweeted out like a little video of like rough outing from Shoei Otani. I didn't say, oh, Shoei Otani is going to be terrible based on this. Because the thing about it is, is Shoei Otani was getting him work. There are dead arm periods that happen during spring training. So if you see a guy who's four, five, six miles an hour under what you expect to see, you shouldn't make a generalization. Oh, this guy's really backed up. It may be that he's going through that period you go through, which by the way, may happen in the big leagues during the season this year, because um, they had a very compressed spring training. So you don't want to make over. You don't want to say this guy's figured it all out. This guy has absolutely fallen apart. Anything like that based on spring training, but you can get a sense. You can get a sense of the talent. When you see an org, I will never forget wandering the backfields of Rangers camp in like 2012, 2013. And you just saw mammoth, this mammoth human after mammoth human. And then Joey Gallo looking, well, other than Jordan Aikens looking mammoth among the mammoth humans. And, it, you know, and you just knew like, okay, this has a lot of young talent here. And a lot of guys who ended up being big leaguers, at least in some cases, not more than that, but big leaguers. In some cases, long-term successful everyday regulars. But so Jeff, with that, you saw, again, the East Coast of Florida. You saw the Mets. You saw the Cardinals. You saw the Marlins. You saw the Nationals. And you saw the Astros. What is an org that, like, the, the depth of the talent really stood out to you? Um, I would say, you know, in terms of depth, it was probably the Marlins. Um, just because they have those high-end guys. They have younger guys. They have some guys a little bit closer in terms of some of the arms. Um, that you could have seen in some of the major league games, which I saw a couple as well. Um, and then they had, you know, a lot of good position players, particularly in, in those A-ball levels. Um, a lot of middle infielders that can hit, a lot of toolsy athletes as well. Um, and I, I would say that they probably had, you know, the, the deepest pool of like international kids that were, you know, coming over here for sort of the first time. Uh, or had just debuted like on the, on the complex last year. Um, so those were the guys that were most interesting to me because they're not the guys I'll typically see in the Arizona Fall League or in AA or AAA. Um, but the, you know, the Marlins in particular, I think probably had the most talent. But each organization sort of had um, some different things that define them. You know, uh, Houston had a lot of interesting arms that were you know, teen, you know, teenagers, guys uh, that, you know, were UDFAs even, um, just sort of interesting breaking balls, guys that threw hard. I don't think that's a surprise for anybody that's followed Houston and sort of, you know, what their approach is. Um, the Mets had a really interesting uh, group of arms that they had drafted this year. Um, I think they had switched a little bit more to um, an analytical focus in terms of the arms that they've gone after in the draft. And, you know, that was one thing you kept hearing from different evaluators and scouts when you were down there where, uh, you know, the Mets have a really good class of arms that they drafted this year. These like a lot of guys with big stuff, really interesting stuff. Um, you know, I think 
Washington, the big thing was, you know, this class and of course uh, getting looks at, at Brady House, um, you know, I think was you know, just an impressive player in general, um, you know, impressive build and just you can see the projection, the tools there and why people sort of fell in love. Um, and then the Cardinals, I, I think it was just hitters who hit the ball hard in every single game. Um, they just had, you know, even players you maybe hadn't heard of before um, that were complex guys that, you know, really just barreled up and, and hit the ball hard. And I think you look at the guys they've brought to the major leagues over the last five or six years, they've had a fair amount of those guys. Um, and then, you know, a lot of guys that sort of were like uh, interesting sort of toolsy, um, high motor uh, players that they have. Um, they've had a lot of those guys over the years too. So like there's, there's certain types that each organization seems to target and maybe develop really well. Um, and I thought that that was something that like when you took a step back after seeing camp for a couple of days and typically getting like all the different depth um, from those organizations, you, you got to feel for like, all right, this is the type of players that these guys develop or target um, and then bring into their organization. So, so, the other thing with that is, is, is you, you mentioned this, like it, it is something where when you mentioned the Mets, you said they've gone in a more analytical bent. Do you see that? Like when you're watching their pitchers, like I, I would assume that means you saw a lot of uh, four seamers uh, up in the zone with high, you know, IVB, you know, you saw what are there, are there attributes that you saw that stood out because of that? Yeah, I think it was just, um, guys that had an interesting pitch that they threw a lot. Um, I think, you know, one that I had brought up was like Levi David, um, who I had, I think, tweeted out some video of um, where he was throwing like one of the hardest curveballs I had ever seen, you know? Um, and so that's the kind of thing where it's like, all right, that's, that's a pitch that pops on like a stuff plus type of model. If you're familiar with, you know, some of that stuff that's been out there. Um, be, be a driveline. I know Eno Saris has done some as well. But when you look at those sort of models, which a lot of organizations have their version of like a stuff plus, especially, you know, the more analytically driven ones. Um, and there's a lot of pitchers that are getting taken off of that because they have sort of this overused term, but unicorn sort of pitch. And so you saw some of that, but definitely you saw guys with maybe like a lower release height flatter uh, vertical approach angle on some of the fastballs and um, just guys that really threw hard, you know, so it had interesting stuff. It might be even a sinker, but it might be a sinker with like a really interesting sweepy slider or something like that. Um, so some of those arms, I think they have a lot of guys within that system that could potentially be um, some sleepers coming out of this draft. And I, the one thing I want to kind of wrap this up with before we jump on to Josh is, Speaking of pitchers with big stuff, we already know that Hunter Green is going to be in the Reds' opening day rotation. There's still the possibility also. They, the, the Reds have announced four members of their rotation. There's a fifth that's going to pitch, and it could be Nick Lodolo as well. With, with that one, you know, you and I both have kind of, <laughs> I think, fascinated by the these, these young red ar Reds' arms. I, I've tweeted out, like, I mean, Look, Hunter Green is about to become a phenomenon because what Hunter Green's going to do, I will predict this right now, barring something unexpected or a dead arm period or whatever, Hunter Green's going to go out there 
And in like his first game, then you're going to see write-ups or second game is going to be like, oh, he's thrown more pitches over X than any pitcher in the StatCast era because that's what Hunter, Hunter Green does. He throws legitimately harder than any other starting pitcher out there. Like, period. I don't – like, there's not a oh, – yeah. other than, no, it's just period. He throws harder. But what do you – I mean, the thing that I'm kind of interested about this with this Reds team is this offseason's been a uh, a slog if you're a Reds fan, I think it's fair to say. That said, and they have injuries right now that are also making it even sloggier, you know, mm-hmm. Luis Castillo and all. But that said, I'm really interested to see what these young arms do for in, in the Reds rotation. Again, we know Green's in, maybe Lodolo's in as well. Do you think these are guys who could step in and make it some sort of impact, which is difficult for rookie pitchers to do, but make an impact right away? Yeah. yeah. And I, I think the one thing that I do give, um, maybe not the one thing, but something that I do give the, the Reds credit for is over the last couple of years, they've made a concerted effort to improve sort of the, the type of pitchers that they target and then what they teach pitchers when they're within the organization, which they have some of the most talented pitching coaches and really, um, you know, innovative, progressive um, coaches within that organization. And, you know, we, we know that they've had their affiliations with driveline and they still have a lot of those guys within, within those ranks. And they've targeted guys with just that throw hard that have really interesting pitches, even trading for a guy like Williamson and thinking that you could have that guy back to back kind of like TCU did, but this, sort of developed more mature version of those two guys where they're both throwing strikes in effective starters with him and Lodolo down the road. That's really interesting. And then we know that they had a, a great period in terms of targeting UDFA arms. Um, and some of the guys that have come out of that 2020 class, you know, like Carson Spires, I think is one of them and a few others that even if they're viable bullpen guys, they could be guys that see leverage, you know, high leverage innings at one point. Uh, and that's valuable. And I think when you're in an offensive park like that, it's a lot easier to sort of uh, get offense from your, your team, especially if you target a certain type of hitter um, versus finding ways to suppress runs. And I think they're trying to do that by getting guys that miss bats because those balls won't go into play. And some of that fluky stuff doesn't have to happen. Right. Um so, you know, I think it's one of those things where they've made some moves, but you also have to be realistic and say, like, well, they weren't a playoff team, and at least they're headed in a direction where, you know, unlike some other organizations who play in offensive parks, they're, they're actually trying to find a way to sort of solve the problem by, by suppressing runs, going after a certain type of pitcher. And I think for that reason, they'll be an interesting uh, team to watch over the next couple of years as some of these arms make their way up because they will be fun arms to watch you're going to see him on you know pitching ninja or whatever and you know getting gift up and overlays and things like that just because of what the characteristics are uh, absolutely it's going to be fun to watch we are we are in real countdown mode it, we're recording this on march 31st hey april 5th triple a baseball starts Miners, the minors start before the majors this year first yes. time I'm, that's happened since 1995 minors before the majors and then uh, April 8th will be crazy because it's going to be opening day for everyone else or pretty much everyone else. So yeah. it's going to be fun. It'll be, 
we're getting ready to flip into regular season mode and regular season mode is very fun. So Jeff, thank you for, for joining us here on the baseball America prospect podcast. I'm going to have a, uh, a, a similar conversation with Josh about Arizona. So we've talked about Florida and now we're going to talk about prospects in Arizona with Josh Norris. Hey everybody, JJ Cooper now joined by Josh Norris. We've covered Florida with Jeff Ponce. Now we're going to talk about what it's like going to Arizona for spring training. Josh just got back from a trip to, as you like to call it, Arizona, And on that, he got to enjoy some of his favorite uh, eats that he, uh, you know, that he has on any trip. He goes, actually, I think it is the favorite that he has on any trip he gets to go to. I mean, we'll, we'll put it this way. Like, I, we, if you follow my Twitter, you know I go to Mongolian Grill a lot. And, uh, you know, I hadn't been to one of the spots since 2019, just based on location. But even though I hadn't been there since 2019, the manager saw me and remembered me from three years ago. <laughs> so that's either a sign that I need to join a support group or that I really need to join a support group. <laughs> but uh, but Josh is a veteran of the backfields, many a trip to the backfields at this point. And I'd still want to ask you, though, because we asked this to Jeff, and you've done this for a number of years, but you still get charged up going to the backfields like I do. What is it that you love about, a, especially, I'll say this, me and Josh will often jokingly, you know, we've gone back and forth over who goes, who goes to Florida this year, who gets to go to Arizona. Because Arizona is, I think in both of our opinions, the gold standard of where you want to go for spring training because... Yeah, it's just easier. I mean, it's, you know, all the places are within an hour-ish of each other, depending on traffic. Um, and you can hit multiple sites in one day uh, if you do it right. Um, like, my, my last day, it worked out where I started um, at Goodyear for the Reds and Guardians camps. And, you know, that was games at 1 o'clock. And even though it dragged a bit, I did leave in, like, the 8th because it was super dragging. I needed to get some grill. Um, the night game, they start playing night games for some of the teams toward the end of spring training. So I was able to get uh, Diamondbacks and Rockies by the end. And I was a little saddened, disappointed that I wasn't able to triple up because there were a couple camp days that day, but they weren't playing any games. So I, I, I have, both of us have pulled the triple before. I've pulled the quintuple. Um, the quintuple's hard to do. It's very hard to do. And I don't even know how I did it, but I did do five camps in one day. And five different sites, not just for, for like Padres, Peoria to the, you the can't Padres do that. the Mariners. You can't do that in Florida. You, no, you well you can, but it's only you'd have to do, you'd be very hard working to do it. I mean, Jeff did see five different. You, you know, on Jeff's side, there are five teams. You have to work hard to see all five of them, but you can't. You can't see them the day. same day though. You can't. It's just there's not enough going on, and there's too much travel. Like I, it's just not possible. Yeah, it, it's it's just more compact and. Frankly, um, uh, no humidity. Um, Hot, but no humidity. I will say that we came closer to having a rain out, I think, than Jeff did in Florida. Because we did get some rain at the end, and I was a little surprised that the Rockies and D-backs did play. I have had rain when I've been in Arizona for spring training. But the thing that's always happened, I've never had rain that wiped out the east and the west side of Phoenix on the same day. Oh, I've had a couple of years where the Arizona Fall League games were rained out and haboobed out, um, where, you know, that's the dust storm for people who don't go there regularly. 
but yeah, I was like, all right, are we even going to play this night game? Because I don't know what kind of investment tarps would be in Arizona. So let me ask you, well, in this travelogue portion of it with this, and I'll kind of share my thoughts too, but where are your, we're not talking about the front fields. We're not talking about the minor league stadiums, the back fields. Salt River Field Flats would be my uh, winner for the best stadium in Arizona. I know that Josh may disagree with me on that, but as for a fan perspective. But the backfields, is there a particular backfield that you really like going to? Uh, I'd have to think about that a little bit. Like Camelback uh, this time was pretty easy to deal with because there's not a whole lot of places where I can't shoot. Like, I'm thinking about it in terms of easiest places to get up both lines. Like, some places it's just restricted, you can't do it. Or, I mean, Goodyear, if you saw my, my Gavin Williams video, it's not, that's about the best you can do without, like, knocking out someone's, someone else's camera. Or, in that case, too, if your camera gets hit, which it happens a lot, it's going to fall into a little abyss and or the gomatic is going to turn into a missile. Um, and you can't really get it that easy, but... Like, Camelback is fairly easy to get to both sides and behind the plate without really blocking anyone's view. Um, at Surprise, I had a pretty good little gap where I could kneel down or squat, or, I mean, I came really close to just laying down uh, in the dirt to get video of, you know, low home with the new slow-mo camera that, if you follow me on Twitter, you've been seeing go buck wild with that thing. Um... There are others that are pretty pretty good, but some are just, it's just, you can't get up certain lines without mm-hmm. offending someone, which I understand. It's, it's their complex. I'm, I'm a guest. I'd say from a fan perspective, the backfields at Mesa are really good. And I didn't get there this year, which is amazing because I stayed in Mesa. That is kind of, that does, I think that is actual irony. But Mesa, the thing about Mesa is, is they have parking for the backfields. Um, they have shaded, covered areas with stands, with bleachers, I should say, with mm-hmm. bleachers. for the, So there are places where it's like that, and there are other places where it's a little more, you know, free form. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to talk about, flo- like, by comparison, like, with Florida, um, if you're going to go to the Clearwater backfields, there are a couple pens where they keep the fans, where it's not really super convenient to see what you're looking at. Um Bradenton is kind of, it's a little bit of a mess, but there is a free access back there, but it's a lot of stuff going on. But yeah, Arizona for fans, I, I don't even remember what the Mesa setup, setup is like. Like I said, I haven't The Mesa's there. Cubs. So yeah, just if our listeners listening going, which one's Mesa? Yeah. Mesa's Cubs. Yeah, I stayed three minutes from that park and never went. So... It's how things go. I, I mean, again, I have my own personal things. I like going to Surprise because, uh, you know, usually there's good prospects at Rose Rangers camp, but also there are F-35s flying over Luke Air Force from Luke Air Force Base. You can drive down a road not far from Surprise and watch the uh, fighter jets come into land. Um, I've gone, when I went to Mesa before, there's also a uh, commemorative Air Force uh, little museum there, and I've seen a World War, well, slightly after World War II uh, propeller fighter plane do a little air show um, for me. I mean, it was doing it for itself, but I was there. So there's like moments that like that's for me. Ho ho cam used to be you know where the Oakland used to train. You know, I was kind of out in the. There's a lot of those right. kind of things. And there but, was a trip for the fall league where I stayed two weeks in one of the places near Salt River, and that was strategically for grill. And yeah. I mean, it didn't 
hurt, hurt that a lot of the night games are at Salt River anyway, but grill. Uh, Goodyear has, you have a, a, a bow yard for yes, decommissioned uh, sitting out in dry heat uh, airplanes just beyond the outfield. There's a lot of different things. But again, Arizona, the thing is, is if you're going as a fan to Arizona for spring training, the key one, number one is, is it's you're going to Arizona. Fall League does this too. You're going at the best times to go to Arizona because the heat has not reached uh, epic levels like it does in July, August. Um, the second part of it is, is that it is, it's very convenient. If you get somewhere, if you stay somewhere in the, in the middle of Phoenix, near the interstate, you can pretty much get to almost any ballpark, and there are many, and you can do that in about 45 minutes if you're centrally located, and that's at rush hour, basically. Yeah. Um, so, but okay, enough of our travel log portion of this. I, I do, more importantly, Josh, and what people are probably listening for is, is okay, I said this with Jeff, you know, if you want to go to baseballamerica.com, we are highlighting a lot of players who stood out. There's a lot of, as Josh also mentioned, we have video up too. We're going to have more. But, like, if you want to watch an entire Jack Leiter outing, Josh wrote about it, and the video's there. We're going to add video of other players and all, open swings, all that kind of stuff. But who is a prospect? As you come back, as you kind of sift through what you saw, who's someone that you saw or you heard about that uh, a prospect that stood out like, oh, that guy was even better than what I thought. I mean, uh, I don't know if I, it was even better than what I thought, but I'll, I'll kind of tell the listener, I don't really do a whole heck of a lot with the draft, so I know their names, but I don't know you know, much about them at, at that point. But Jackson Merrill with the Padres, um, he was really intriguing. Um, his swing from the left side is really pure. It's in the zone a long time, and... He's one of those guys, you know, you don't see a whole lot of guys who could go oppo pretty easy these days, and he did. Um, and I think I've mentioned to JJ earlier that you, you heard some stuff about him, too. He's already just, uh, displaying pretty good leadership qualities behind the scenes. He, you know, internally and externally, people are talking about him. And that's a system where it's not what it once was because they've traded to, to acquire everyone, but there's still stuff there. And it sounds like Mackenzie Gore has been better this spring Much training. Much better this spring. Uh-huh. Uh, if 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 that's all Ruben Niebla does, then the money is well spent. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was really intriguing. I, mean, I saw him with you know James Wood and uh, his massive frame. I mean he's he's massive. But he's no Lawrence Butler, um, but uh, that that guy's really huge too. Um, but he was really intriguing, and then he made a couple really good plays at shortstop for me. Um, made a couple errors too, but that's a guy who I think is gonna move up various lists during the year. Uh, Rain Doncone with the Dodgers is a guy. Hey, the Dodgers have prospects. Shocking. Um, he's a twitchy kind of player who showed really uh, the very limited look I got. I got limited looks at most everyone. Um, uh, strong hands, twitchy, uh, kind of a guy who's going to show you some pretty good electric kind of uh, skill set in the, in the field and at the plate. So that's a guy we had like twenty one on our Dodgers list. He was gonna probably move up at some point. As a matter of fact, one scout guy, I told him where we had him, and he just gave me the thumbs up. It's move up. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, the, the rankings are a snapshot, and that snapshot is already one that we're uh, 
starting to look at. And, and That's why we do this. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if, if it was just ranking the top guys, then it, you know, it, this would be fairly easy. But it's, this is, I like to compare it to like my, if you know me, you know my, my parent, my dad and my brother are stockbrokers and I'm a baseball prospector. And I don't think there's a, a particularly long walk to kind of connecting what we do, except that I've flunked a lot of math classes. Um. <laughs> but so that's some of the players. The other thing is, is that, and I asked Jeff this also, but like that stands out is what is the sense, you, you mentioned the Dodgers, like you see the Dodgers, it's not unexpected, but I'm imagining you, again, the, the thing that the Dodgers stand out with is, is okay, these players are even better than they were before, or they, you know, the, the totality of talent stands out. Are there orgs that stood out to you one way or another? Like, hey, this, this was the eye-opening to me. I, I will preface this by saying I'm pretty proud of myself that in seven days there I got every single club, uh, at least once. But um, the Rangers, wow. Um, we have them nine, I think, in our org rankings right now. And, man, do they have some stuff to play with. Um, we all know about Dustin Harris at this point, which is a weird thing that we didn't think we'd be saying a couple of years ago. But... That dude is jacked. That dude has a sweet swing from the left side. As one evaluator pointed out to me, when he takes batting practice, the flight of his ball is on a line. It doesn't hook, no matter the trajectory. It's just, it's a frozen rope to wherever. A sign of a well-struck ball, yes. not, a, not a spun ball because you didn't square it up. He has the chance to, I don't know where he's going to fit defensively, but he's going to hit. Um, there's some arms coming back that, I didn't see, but I know about. I mean, um, TK Roby, who was on the uh, announced break camp roster for the Hickory Crawdads. Um, By the way, kudos, Rangers. They always do. Uh, tip of the cap. We're sitting here as recording this on March 31st, and we know what the approximate. And again, there's no harm if something happens and they have to move a guy or whatever. No, no harm. Okay, these are the break camp rosters. They're not written in pen. They're not written in Sharpie where you can't move a guy around if you have to. But, hey, the great thing is is if you're in Hickory or you're in Down, Down East. East, which is Kinston, if you're in Frisco, you know, wherever you are in the Rangers system, they can now say, here's a roster, get excited, opening days next week. Right. Um, and you know, I, I, I remember covering a team one year when they released their break camp roster. They sent the group of guys for media day. And between media day and opening day, they released a guy. It stinks for him, right? But, but uh, it it uh, it's, it's a break camp, camp roster. Right now, the other thing that is happening right now is, I mean, to get into the weeds for a second, this is the roughest week of the year upcoming. If you are a veteran minor league player, every year there are like to give just one example that is just a purely practical numbers. You are allowed to have 190 players on your roster during spring training. When the season begins, you are only allowed 180. So right there, if you have the full 190, you got to get rid of 10. Realistically, most teams get rid of more than that. And when we call it a break camp roster, if someone gets released by someone else and you really like that guy, okay, you call him up, you sign him. Well, that means that one other guy that you had who thought he was making a team all of a sudden is either sent to extended or more likely is released. And it's a rough period of time. It is the 
it is the period of time where dreams get destroyed. I don't know what another way to put it, but players who have been dreaming of being a professional baseball player, of making the majors for years, for in some cases, the almost the entirety of their life, this is the week where some of them get called into an office and told, I've got bad news, we're letting you go. Yeah, I mean, this is a meat grinder of a business, and right now the crank's about to start turning. Um, it but, started in some cases. We're starting to see some of those releases come out, you know, and right. yeah. Um, but anyway, that was a, a divergence from the Rangers being good. Um, uh, T.K. Roby is going to be a guy who I think you're going to like to see. Big fastball, big, uh, big breaking ball, uh, big swagger, let's put it. Um, he's, he's, he's a fun guy to watch. Ricky Venasco is a guy who I was surprised to see him on Hickory. Um, welcome back. Welcome back. Yeah, he's um, he should be really interesting. I probably will see him on opening weekend, uh, depending on how they line up the rotations, because they're in Winston-Salem, which is a scant 90 minutes from here. Um, or down east plays at Zebulon opening weekend, too. Um, but the, they have guys like uh, Emiliano Tioto, who throws 102 with a 3,000 RPM curveball. Um, which, by the way, 102 is the new 100, is my argument. I think that was Jay-Z's original song. But um, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, he should be really fun. I was surprised to see him make the start the other day. I didn't see it, but I saw the lineups because, again, kudos to a lot of teams down there. They're, they're starting to get the hint that people do want to come see these backfields games. It's not just scouts. They post their lineups. They post their... You know, whatever, it's great to not have to, like, you know, go through the CIA back channels to get lineups for and see who's pitching. Um, but fans, you know, can go. If they want, if fans uh, were following the Rangers and Royals on their various social medias, they could have seen that it was going to be a Jack Leiter, Asa Lacey matchup on whatever day that was. And they could have flocked to surprise. And there were a few people there. It wasn't crazy, but there was, you know, a smattering of coaches and execs and scouts and whatever I am, and uh, fans out there. So one bear there. One, one bear. <laughs> Just one bear um, out there doing their thing. Um, and kind of an aside, it's kind of funny that I, I mentioned in our Slack that I saw Asa Lacey, Asa Lacey versus Jack Leiter, and it sounds like I saw the third best pitching matchup that day, cause, or at least pitching guy that day, because Bobby Miller went in. Uh, Camelback, and I had a scout texting me like, you're an idiot, you're an idiot, you're an idiot, come see this guy. And Daniel Espino, um, I think the quote I got was, he could do anything he wanted at any time to any hitter. It was like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, that's very good. <laughs> any hitter? Any hitter. Um, so anyway, the Rangers were really good. Um, the Rockies, the last, that last day I think was probably my best game was... Rockies D-backs. On one field, you had uh, the low A group, and I'm making air quotes here, um, which had, on the Rockies side, you had Yankeel Fernandez, Adele Amador, uh, Benny Montgomery, uh, Warming Bernabel, uh, guys like that. And on the D-back side, you had Jordan Lawler, uh, Davison De Los Santos. Um, those are the guys on the low A side only. On the high A side, if you went a, a few steps the other way, you had Zach Veen, you had Vladimir Restituyo, you had Eddie Diaz. Uh, don't remember who was on the D-back side, but was, that's a lot of prospects bouncing back and forth. Um, you know, I think I got 10,000 steps on that field alone, just going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, on occasion sprinting and putting forth spin moves. 
on guys who are in my way. That's the, again, that's the both the good news, bad news of the backfields is, is that I perennially feel like, I said this with Jeff also, when there's multiple things going on, I always feel like, am I on the right field or should I be over at that field? Well, like I said to a couple of scouts this week, like, I do not know how you do this effectively because there's so much to watch. And if you have such and such org, what are you looking at in a given one? What are you taking notes on? Who are you pointing your radar gun? I guess the answer is if you're focusing on the high A group that day, you focus on the high A group and you divert your gaze from the low A group. Or in some cases, there's three games where it might be like a, you'll call it a low uh, uh, ACL versus DSL game or whatever. The I, I've seen five. Yeah, I mean, I've seen that too, but like not so much this year. It was no more than three in a given time. Outside of a B game that I, <laughs> here's a fun aside. On the Camelback day, I walked out and they had cordoned off an area for people to get Julio Urias's autograph. There's a B game going on at the side. You can see Matt Foster and Zach Collins and whoever else, these guys that need work. Um, and that's blocking my car, or at least the area to my car. I had to pull a security guard over and say, I do not want Julio's autograph. It's the last thing I want. Please let me through. <laughs> I need to go. He's like, Fine. I got a little like little security escort through the autograph <laughs> session. <laughs> look at my backpack. Look at my tag. Look at the look on my face. Just let me get to the parking lot. I promise you I'm not asking for an autograph. I just want to get to my car. That is the last thing I want. Um, <laughs> but in any case, yeah, the Rockies, uh, particularly Adil Amador and um, Yanquil Fernandez, were really impressive that game. Fernandez even more in particular. Just He gave me three at-bats. The first at bat was he ripped some middle middle fastball, which is what you should do, um, off of the left center field wall. Next at bat, he got a kind of a fastball, or it might have been a bad change up in on his hands, and he muscled it into center. And the third at bat, he got something away from him, and he kind of cleared his hips a little early, but his hands were strong enough, his upper part were, were strong enough to stay back and flick it into right field for what might have been a double. I don't. That's the thing about this. Like I think I did as much in this trip as I've ever done, I took almost no notes because I am not yet an octopus. I have hands for a camera. I have hands for a radar gun. We, we need to get you uh, like a microphone so you can dictate during that. And yeah, no, I was joking. I made that same joke with a scout. It's like uh, 9092 fastball. Also, idea for a dog pool or something like that. <laughs> you know, uh, it was... It was a really, it's really interesting. I kind of got over the FOMO. I think I posted on Twitter the, the, the Gavin Williams video. I made a note saying, I didn't even see this live. I had my camera set up, hoped it didn't get hit, hoped something cool would happen. And I'm cutting it like, I don't remember this all. Oh, then I was, oh, I was watching Andrew Abbott strike out Joey Votto on the other field. With another <laughs> camera in your hand. With a, well, on the fence, but yes. Yeah. Uh, well, no, and one in my hand. So I had two cameras running on fences and a camera in my hand. And that's less cameras than I usually have. Um, so that day was... So that, that, that's what I'm saying. Like the, the Rockies really impressed me. Uh, the Rangers really impressed me. Um, those, are, those are the two that really popped for me. And I, the, I think this is the perfect way to end it, which is the thing that stands out to me, the thing that I, I hope you had when you were at the backfields, like that I think that we both get, which is we're really lucky to get to do this. Like, I know that there are listeners listening to this going, I wish that I got to spend time on the backfields watching top prospects play. And it's like, yep, that's what we get to do. 
it's a perfect segue to say thank you, Baseball America subscribers. You all subscribing to us is why we get to do what we want, what we do, and then bring that information to you. It is a privilege that we get to do this. If you want to join that group, I'll put in the plug. Go to baseballamerica.com. If you click on the shop at the top, there are a multitude of ways. Store, sorry, store on the top, and then it takes you to shop hyphen now. But uh, you can digitally subscribe. You can subscribe to the magazine. You can subscribe to both. But we do thank you for doing that, many of you who already have, because it is what allows us to do this. And it's, you know, it's to do this right. We had, you know, we, again, we had people in Arizona, East Coast of Florida, West Coast of Florida. We saw pretty much most everyone. Yeah, I mean, the timing on the West Coast of Florida kind of stunk because of the way the lockout was working. But Jeff and I got... You know, we had very few, if any, issues based on just access. It was, you could get whatever you want. I mean, I, I found if you have a BBWAA card and you walk fast enough, nobody cares. <laughs> they, they, they just assume, they assume that you know what you're, you're doing. You know, that you're there for a reason. Thank you for assuming that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it was, I, I, JJ's right. Um, if I had my druthers, I would spend most of my time on the backfields. And, you know, on the lower level fields, like, I didn't, I went to a couple double A games, um, but I don't touch the big fields um, unless there's like a game there. But not that doesn't happen often. I rarely go to the double and triple A games just because most of the guys we already know who they are, and the 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 part about this I enjoy is seeing guys that I've never heard of. Um, mm-hmm. It's very difficult in this job to come in blind on anyone. But it's, it is fun when you can. Right, for sure. I mean, the, this guy, Bill Mitchell, recommended to me, uh, Dayon Frias with Cleveland. Smaller guy, big swing, kind of, he could hit a bit. And his numbers last year in whatever complex league were re- really good. Maybe that, and I did miss a single of his because I mean, that's not that fast. But, you know, he's a guy to take a look at, um, to, to watch out for. I mentioned Rain Doncone. Um, I mentioned Jackson Merrill, not that he's like a pop-up guy or anything. That was our, one of our top, I think it was a 101 draft prospect, first first rounder by the Padres who do a pretty good job in the draft. Uh, anybody else really stick out? Oh, there was a lot of Mariners guys. I mean, Starlin Aguilar looked like a dude. George Feliz has a really pretty swing. Gabriel Gonzalez came in with a lot of hype, um, and I'm certainly not going to bag him on one day, but he swings a lot. He swings a lot. Um, needs to swing a little less. <laughs> that's what I'm I kind of got that sense that that's what you were saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 appreci- I deciphered that. I appreciate it. I appreciated it because some there was a lot of bats for like there was one Re- Reggie Preciato I mentioned in the thing today, and I was like, ooh, I've gotten a, a single from the the right hand side. Let me see if I can go to the left side, and then he doesn't swing. It's like, oh. <laughs> but that's a good thing, um, you know. We wrote that he needs to work on his plate discipline, and he took a four-pitch walk. Maybe it was five-pitch, whatever. He took a call strike at some point, but, you know, uh, that's a good sign going forth that he actually drew a walk. He only did that, I think, 11 times last year. So it was it was, it was was a fun trip to the backfields. There's plenty of guys I saw, and hopefully this summer I'll go melt some more down there and uh, see some guys I've never heard of, um, and then... Maybe we'll all have heard of them. I don't know. That's that's the point of what we do. We want to bring you names of prospects that you need to know that you haven't heard of yet. And 
We'll keep doing that. So for Josh and Jeff, I'm JJ here on the Baseball America Prospect Podcast. So long, everybody. Mm-hmm.